Joe presents Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby, together with Guinness. Hello and you're very welcome to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby here on Joe, together with Guinness. We have a ton of stuff to get through on today's show. Uh, we'll be joined by Claire McLaughlin, Ulster and Ireland rugby player, who is also a doctor and working in the A&E department in the Ulster Hospital in Belfast, right on the front line for COVID-19. We'll also be joined by South African legend and Rugby World Cup winner, Victor Matfield, uh, all the way from South Africa. We've got a lot of penguins to give shouts out to this week, uh, Trimby. They've been just going above and beyond. Um, we also have our classic album and our classic movie, which are No Need to Argue by The Cranberries and Groundhog Day from my favourite, Bill Murray. And we will be looking back at the Lions versus South Africa second test 2009. Trimby, it's day 36 in isolation for me. Um, and I'm I'm well settled in now. I don't know how many days it's been for you, not as many, but how are you holding up? Yeah, a few a uh, few days less. Uh, but it's the novelty hasn't worn off yet. In fact, I'm just settling in more and more every Monday. Uh, this is this is the time of the week whenever uh, I get out of my pajamas <laughs> and I put on. Well, when I say get out of them, I put a t-shirt over them. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine you've got a, a super tight pajama top. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is the one. I have, I have, I have my reindeer. Oh, I nearly fell off my chair. I have my reindeer pajamas still on from Christmas. Oh is, wow! So I just put my shirt on. <laughs> you were in you were in a pair of knickers. You were in a pair of knickers last week, so I did. I did. You're getting back to some structure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but for me, it's just been a week of um, <clears throat> uh, barbecuing, gardening, and parenting. <laughs> just uh, it's, it's Groundhog Day in that, in that order. Yeah, all Groundhog Day is just the best film to watch. Thank you for suggesting that. Yeah, so it's for me, it's just getting into that routine and becoming less and less productive. Uh, reading plenty, watching plenty, but just you know, in terms of actually getting any work done, nothing. It's brilliant. Um, uh, yeah, I've, I've got a little bit better around the house, though. Um, I'm not very good. Uh, DIY is not my thing at all. Um, it was like, at all. Well, don't assume. Don't yeah. assume. I could if I wanted to, I just can't. <laughs> Sorry, I don't want to. So never mind. <laughs> I, I would just ask my dad if I wanted to find out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. 35 years old. I'm, I'm a father of three and I'm still asking my dad for help. Oh, yeah. Why? But um, yeah, so I've just been, uh, I bleached the drive the other day. I've been, <laughs> I, I did that. <laughs> yeah, I did gardening. Mm-hmm. I got a, I've had a strimmer for a while, but when he really just started using it. Mm. And, I feel like I feel so manly and untypically me holding my strimmer and strimming strimming the grass mm-hmm. to the point where I like finished it and I'm looking around and thinking what what else can I strim right here <laughs> see see if that me. see if, if the, the power hose yeah if the neighborhood cats arrive when I'm holding that strimmer they're getting they're getting strong <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's 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 uh, violence that's what you, what you call that animal uh, abuse yeah but it's way way less serious than um, I, did, I did have a similar moment with the power hose and the cat last week <laughs> <laughs> I didn't uh, I didn't power piss the cat anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my week I've been incredibly lucky that I've been uh, 
I've been proper lockdown. Like I haven't left, I haven't gone to the shops in 36 days. Marla goes to the shop. Now that was, um, that wasn't by choice. It just kind of happened that way. But this week we had to bring the babies to get vaccinated. So um, we had to go out and go to town. And it was like that time when you come home from holidays and everything has changed. Remember when you were younger and you come home from holidays. So it was good though. It was nice to get out. I was like, oh, do you remember that place? I remember that. <laughs> yes. Remember that? Oh, look yeah. at that. And, and then I saw people that I knew. Remember that guy? Do you remember that fellow, that weird guy that walks around the place? Even in Limerick. Even in Limerick, it was still impressive. Oh, it was it? so impressive. You know, just just seeing buildings and stuff that I hadn't seen. <laughs> was it were the, was the vaccination? Was it two stabs to both thighs? Yeah, yeah. It's tough. It's hard to watch. Oh, it's isn't tough. It? I didn't have to watch. Now I stayed in the car. Or I went in with them, but uh, they were tr- traumatized after. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, look, uh, they'll toughen up. Um, exercise wise, how's that going for you? I've tried the feckin'. Well, we've we've created a monster here because people keep getting on to me now, telling me, giving me things to do. Uh, exercise wise, I tried your 100 burpees in and I got to like eight minutes something. I'm so shit at burpees, enough for me. <laughs> so, um, uh, I, I did, however, I look, I very fortunately live within 100 meters of uh, of quite a few monster rugby players. So, JJ Hanrahan and Rona Mahoney live within 100 meters of me, and uh, we all social, socially distancing got together on the local green area. Uh, and stayed 10 meters apart and they were doing um their interval running so i joined in um now do you know what's the opposite of evolution um devolution evolution <laughs> i think that's ha- the handing over of weapons <laughs> <laughs> that do. um it's like you know the evolution chart with the man with with a uh, homo erectus and all that it gets to it's the handing the over of powers actually sorry it's standing over of what? Handing over of powers. Powers. Yeah, yeah sorry. It was, it was kind of similar to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, where you got JJ Hanrahan, who is the most, you know, athletic out of the three of us. And he's like looking really good, lean, uh, quick, had all the good gear on, all the latest gear, white boots and stuff like this. And then you'd run the man who's recently retired, who was like maybe 10 yards behind him. And then you had the 36-year-old washed up professional who's a good 20 yards behind both of them um wearing like i didn't even have a pair of boots i just had a pair of pair of like old uh soccer indoor soccer shoes oh sambas yes yes yeah. <laughs> and man, picture me now pair them uh cigarette my, you have to have a cigarette, pair of my, a, cigarette a pair of my my dad's black socks from his sock drawer um a pair of bermuda shorts and I like this gammy old T-shirt that I just had with some sort of surfer dude on the front of it. <laughs> and uh, the lads, I was I was so far behind, but I enjoyed the kind of the throwback. We did, uh, Bowden Barrett posted a, a video of him doing this fitness thing Oh, the Bronco, week. was it Bronco he was doing? Bronco was the middle one, yeah. So uh, that was tough. But I, I got through. There was like zigzags for 100 meters up the field. Uh, yeah. You had to do it in as quick as you can. Then Broncos and then uh, 20, 40, 60 shuttle. Or no, 50 meter shuttles because the Broncos are 20, 40, 60. So yeah. uh, I yeah. assumed you couldn't. Uh, I assumed you couldn't run. That was what, you, what was your career end or was it a foot in a foot metatarsal injury in my foot? Yeah. So it does get floppy. I've got a metal plate across the front and across the side of my foot, so it does get quite floppy. Yeah. Um, JJ's JJ's fit shit. Yeah, um, really. 
he was about a second behind Bowden Barrett uh, for right. most, and he was uh, quite disappointed with that. But Bowden Barrett's like back three as opposed to being your stereotypical out half style fitness, yeah. right? He's supposed so, to be and he's supposed to be unbelievably fit as well, Bowden Barrett. Yeah. yeah, I was given and 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 Rona Mahoney, <coughs> aka Mankey, is uh, doing shitloads of CrossFit, so he's um, he's a bit of a machine as well. You jumped in the deep end there. You should be training with Killer, no? <laughs> Killer's just eating barbecue, man, and doing like <laughs> doing the odd bit of weights. But uh, that's a good call. I might get him out. Uh, he'd be more more down my line. Yeah, um, but did you see having watched the the um, the Lions in two thousand and nine? Mm-hmm. The, the big thing that struck me was just how physical and how chunky all of the South Africans were. Mm. They just kicked the crap out of the Lions. They just like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jacques Ferry, especially in the center, was just bashing guys. Victor, yeah. who were getting on, was killing people. I, it's, I think um, Killer's probably got the right idea. Just get massive, and then anybody comes anywhere near you. I think Killer, Killer's a, a devil for getting lean, though, isn't he? Is he? As opposed to getting massive, yeah. <laughs> Doesn't like that lean. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, li- <laughs> he likes the idea of getting lean anyway. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> that's very true. Um, other than that, uh, I, a big shout out to Mark Hill, our penguin, oh. who I have to get in him in early because uh, he drew made a drawing of us, which is uh, uh, it was a creation got from Michelangelo uh, from the Sistine Chapel, and it's me reaching over to you, and he had included the the porn. I was holding the porn <laughs> that my parents had and my dad had in his sock drawer. Are we going to have the weekly uh, weekly apology, by the way? Uh, yeah, they were they were a bit disappointed in me again. Um, <laughs> Every week, <laughs> they need to stop being disappointed, and this is what they're going to expect. Another porn yeah, story. They're kind of they're kind of. So I went and watched the porn because Mark Hill found what it was actually called, and I went and watched it. Um, oh. Watched bits of it anyway. Yeah, and it brought me way back. Uh, <laughs> it's called Domination. There's a character in it that we, I just remembered uh, that he looks exactly like Emmanuel Petit, the centre midfielder for Arsenal uh-huh, in France. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it was in and around that time when he when he was playing for Arsenal that I used to watch this. Uh, so I used to skip through that scene. <laughs> it <was a> bit, <laughs> too weird. It's a bit weird watching Emmanuel Petit. Uh, so I watched it, and then I I uh, got my uh, mother's book on. <laughs> I like the, I like the idea of your mum becoming a massive Arsenal fan. What's going on here, Mum? <laughs> Why are you watching so much Arsenal? <laughs> she, she didn't watch the porn. She didn't watch it. Uh, yeah, okay, let's get Victor Matfield on the show. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. All right, we're delighted to be joined by Victor Matfield all the way from South Africa. Uh, Victor, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time to, to chat to us this morning and... You know, we have a lot to get through in terms of your, your career and, uh, and all that. But first of all, how are you doing? How is, um, how is lockdown in South Africa and how are the family? Yeah, we're doing fine. I must say, um, actually enjoying the family time. Uh, my oldest daughter is about is 14 now and my middle one 11. And um, yeah, the three of us, we train together uh, quite hard. So yeah, it's nice to spend time with them. Um, and yeah, being more uh, with him than normal. But um, yeah, start of week four, I think all of us are getting a little bit crazy at the moment. Uh, we <laughs> yeah. just want to get out of here. Uh, we want to see our friends. We want to get out and have a nice dinner at a restaurant or something. But um, 
yeah, we're all safe and healthy at the moment. And can you it's can you get out at all? Sorry. Well, what sort of training are you doing with your daughters? Um, so I've got a watt bike that me and my oldest daughter will use as well. And then we I've got a driveway of about 70 meters and uh, we do a lot of shuttle running there and then uh yeah, uh a lawn that's about 40 meters, so most of it is shuttle running and um yeah, just body exercises. Jeez, they're keeping you on your toes, Victor. <laughs> yeah, I must say it's bad because you get to that stage where your 14 year old is uh, quicker than you if you can't keep up anymore that's a problem <laughs> trying my best oh, that's good that's good and what kind of lockdown have you got there are you able to get out at all yeah we're actually in full lockdown so uh, you're only allowed to go for groceries to the, to the closest grocery store and then essential services can get out um Luckily, I'm in um, auctioneering. We do cattle auctions, so um, they see me as a, a essential service. So I've been out once or twice where I went to some of our um, clients' farms. Um, but for the rest of us, we are all locked down. We're not allowed outside our houses. Wow. Um, so when you say you're going to you're, you're going walking farms, are there actually still cattle marts going on, or, or what's that? What's that about? Just say again. Sorry. Is it is it like a, a cattle market that's going on, or are you walking farms, or or um, what exactly do you do when you get out? Yeah, it's, it's more like auctions. So uh, we do online auctions mostly. So we go and we see the cattle, and we do stud auctions we do wiener auctions uh all of that uh, and then we do wild game auctions as well where guys sell the animals to hunting farms well pretty cool and where where are you based over there actually i'm still in pretoria so still blue bulls country where i've played my whole career uh i stay in the east of pretoria uh on a golf course uh golf estate called silver lakes so it's very tough to have the golf course right in front of you and you're not even allowed <laughs> to go on to it. Uh, yeah, it's pretty tough. Okay. Well, look, as I said, we've a lot to talk about. Um, you've had a pretty astonishing career. You're you're the South Africa's uh, most capped player at 127 caps, World Cup winner, um, a series winner over the Lions, which um, every week we decide to pick a game that we like to, to uh, talk about because obviously there's no live sport. And this week we've picked the second uh, tests versus the Lions in 2009 that we'd love to talk to you about later on. Um, but look, you were renowned for, I suppose, your incredible um, athleticism throughout your career. Um, but we had your former teammate, John de Villiers, on to us this week who uh, wanted us to remind you of when you first started uh, that you weren't maybe as much of an athletic second row, more of a bit of a a fat, se- a fat second row, if that's correct. <laughs> Thanks, John. Before- yeah, I must say, when, uh, when, I, when I started, I think my first test I played for um, South Africa was probably around about 120 kgs. And then uh, after, I think it was 2004, end of the year tour, um, I missed out on the tour because I was injured. And uh, then I lost close to 10 kgs in a month's time. So and then, yeah, stayed off. So a bit different. I was more of a ball carrier in the beginning of my career. 
and at the end, uh, I rather passed uh, the ball to bigger guys around me. Yeah, he said. He said you came back with the long, model flowing hair, a lot leaner, <laughs> and he used to dye your beard as well to hide the the grey patches as well. <laughs> <laughs> See, I had to do all of that to play so much in the centres. I didn't like to go into the rock, so I had to look like the pretty boys at the back. I had to get the long hair. Um, yeah, tone up a little bit and. Uh, now the grey didn't look, especially when you come back and you're 35, you can't be too grey. He, he also, just one last thing from John de Villiers, was, uh, <laughs> which I think is so good. He used to call you the great Cali, which is um, <laughs> the WWE wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, Sounds like I need to send some videos of John de Villiers scrawling uh, in the hotel floor. Guys. <laughs> 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 Just to make sure we talk about all these flaws as well. Eh? Yeah, well, he's going to be coming on in the next couple of weeks, so you've got the next twenty minutes to think of anything that you want to um, that you want to. I'll get some through to you. Um, but look, do take us back to that time of your career because uh, you uh, you come in and uh, under with Mark Andrews as your your second row um, partner. And uh, what kind of profession were you back then? Did you did you learn a lot off him in those first few years? Yeah, I think you learn from everyone. Um, I think you learn from coaches, you learn from other players. The one guy probably, as a player, I took the most from was uh, Rossi Rasmus. Uh, when I started out playing super rugby, I actually went for two years. I went to a smaller union. I played for the Cats back then, all the Lions and the Cheetahs and the Greek was combined into one team. And Rossi was uh, one of the senior players then. And he was probably the first guy that really got stuck into analyzing the opposition. I remember walking into a video session on a Monday morning and uh, Laurie Mainz were our coach back then. And they would prepare for a for a team we're going to play. And Rossi would have done all the analyzing already. And he would have uh, had a few plans already when we got to that Monday meeting. And I, I think that's where I probably started um, Picking things up, starting to do analyzing myself, uh, going uh, have a look at the other oppositions, find out what do they do on their own ball, what do they do when it's out, or how do they contest, almost work out a plan um, before the coaches do that. So um, I think I learned a lot from Rossi. Uh, Mark Andrews were a fantastic player. I think uh, Art Graft, the guy that were always running in front. So yes, you take something from everyone. But um, like I said, if you if I look over my careers when I was young, probably a guy like Rossi. And when I got older, um, myself and Frida Priya really became close mates. So the two of us spoke about rugby, about tactics for hours um, by ourselves. And um, he was another guy that had a big influence in my career as well. Did you ever think back then that Rossi would go on to become what he is now, you know, have such an impact in Munster and then we back home and then just completely change South African rugby. And, you know, he's, we've seen, he's put up clips on Twitter and you've kind of seen a little bit what he's like behind the scenes, but he's kind of lauded, you know, um, did you, did you expect he would become the Razzie that we all know now? Well, um, I always uh, hoped a guy like Razzie will get involved in coaching. And I think that's probably where you miss out. You get a lot of, players that go into coaching afterwards but a lot of the time that it's not the place when you played that had the influence it was the guys thinking about the game talking about the game almost making the plans for the coaches it's a very 
few of them that you really see going into coaching. If I take over my career, Rossi is probably one. But I mean, F. Riedepree isn't coaching at the moment. Uh, John Smith isn't coaching at the moment. Uh, John De Villiers isn't coaching at the moment. Those were the guys that were sit, will sit in a room and you'll discuss, listen, team tactics and where we're going, what are they doing, um, and probably giving plans to the coaches as well. So yeah, it's great to see Rossi going into that role. Um, I played with him as a youngster, but then I played against him as well. Um, he was also the coach. He went straight out of playing into coaching the Cheetahs, and um, that was the time when the Bulls were really on a high. We won three Curry Cups in a row. We were going for our fourth, and we lost in the final against a team that was coached by Rossi Erasmus. And he started with all the lights on the roofs, almost mm-hmm. making all the calls and all this tactics and all these changes with uh, four front rows back then. Was, you, you never had that. And um, I always thought out of the box. Um, but yeah, it was great when he came back to South Africa because you've got this guy that's very creative, but he also understood the strengths and the DNA of South African rugby. Uh, coming back saying, listen, we, won't, we can't play a New Zealand style of rugby if we want to beat New Zealand. We have to go back to our own strings. We have to see what we are strong at. And he really believes in his tactics. And um, the players believe him because he's such a clever guy when it comes to rugby. The senior players can sit with him and they can argue and they can talk about stuff. And uh, most of the time he knows more than them. So that's always great. It's not always that you get a coach that knows more than the senior players. So... Um, Oh, it's great to see Rossi there, and um, yeah, let's hope we keep on doing really well. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> with that in mind, with the with the World Cup just on, under your belt, and does that bring you back memories of your own uh, achievements in two thousand and seven? Um, you know, when you look through that team and you and you listen to you talk about this, some of the experience you had. Um, is there a lot of kind of uh, similarities you see between your approach um, in 2007 to, to how Rassi approached last year? Yes, I think so. If, if you look at our 2007 team, we also came out of a 2003 World Cup where things really didn't go well. Uh, South African and rugby didn't know where they were going. And then Jake White came in and Jake had a plan. Jake uh, is a guy that really looks at stats and he had to look at the previous two, three World Cups, exactly how experienced the team must be, what age group you need to have at the uh, World Cup uh, to have those guys performing at the top level. Uh, so he had all that things he believed in. And he came in, I remember the first day he arrived and said, listen, 2004, first day we got together, he picked a lot of that uh, young group that played under 21 for him. And he said, listen, we're going to win the 2007 World Cup. This is my plan. This is where we need to get to. We need to get uh, 60% of the guys between 30 and 50 test matches. We need four or five guys with experience close to 80 test caps. All those things that were very important for him. And um, he kept to that belief of him. And again, uh, I think we went through a very difficult time in 2006 where we lost a few games and people wanted to fire Jake. And uh, I think if he didn't believe in himself that much, he probably could have made a few changes and uh, went away from his plan, but he didn't. He stuck to what he believed in. I think Rossi did the same. When he came in, he only had two years. Uh, we were really really struggling as a Springbok team, but he got in there. Uh, he had his beliefs. He told the guys how they're going to win the World Cup. He laid out a plan for the next 24 months, and uh, he stuck to that, and the guys believed in it. And we've said 
uh, a lot of the time, it uh, doesn't matter what plan you have, if all the players, all the management buy into it, uh, the chances of having success is so much bigger than uh, chopping and changing your plans all the time. Well, and <clears throat> would that be the standout kind of, I suppose, moment for you, winning man of the match uh, in the World Cup final? Um, I know you're, you're probably, you know, it's, it's, it's when you're playing, it's, uh, it's not something that you take on that you, that you win man of the match, but it's not every day you, someone puts in a man of the match performance in a World Cup final to win. But is that the most outstanding uh, achievement you think you've had? Yeah, it's difficult. I think uh, it's a great honour for me to have received that uh, man of the match in a final. But uh, when you're in that moment, you're just so happy that you've won the World Cup. It's like a sideshow almost. I think if you look back at your career and you look at special um, games that you played in and where you man of matches, then something like that, of course, that will stand out. There will be other games where you thought you had a bigger impact and uh, that was personally probably... Um, better for yourself. But um, yeah, looking back at your career and being able to say you've been in the World Cup final, you were man of the match when you won the World Cup, that's um, very special. Yeah, I've enjoyed watching a few of your uh, your long distance tries that you ran in over the years. Um, if anyone wants to check them out, I'd, I'd recommend looking up uh, a few YouTube clips. I uh, also loved seeing uh, Brent Russell um, I was a huge fan of his. Remember him, Trimby? Mm, yeah, Cla- uh, he went to Claremont then, didn't he? Claremont, yeah. Yes. He, he was. I remember when when you first that team that you had like two thousand four, two thousand five. There was uh, Sky Sports had really kicked on over here, and we saw a lot of uh, of you, the Southern Hemisphere rugby. And I was like, he is the fastest human being that has ever lived. <laughs> uh, he was kind of ahead of his time in terms of his size and his speed, right? Never started. Never, ever started again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everyone wanted him to come off the bench with 40 minutes or 30 minutes to go. Everyone's a little bit tired. And there's the pocket rocket that, like, we call them here in South Africa. And uh, it was so great. The one try at Newlands, he ran probably about 70 meters, beating 10 guys. And then he passed on the inside to myself. When I scored the try, and I got best try of the year in South Africa. <laughs> so thank you, Brent. Really appreciate that. I didn't do a lot. But yeah, this, and again, uh, if you look at this team we had this year in, at the World Cup in Japan, it's, uh, yes, size does matter, but if you've got guys like with feet and with speed, uh, they can just do magic things for you on the outside. Love your other um, your team, your other teammates, Victor in particular. I'm thinking like the combination of you and Baki's both uh, was you know a, a pretty well established relationship and. I don't. I don't know if it's maybe an oversimplification, but were you the brains, and he was the guy who just beat people up? And like, is that is that an oversimplification? Because having watched the Lions series back again, it looked like you were beating people up as well. So, like, <laughs> how did that combination work? No, it's probably exactly like you called it. Uh, Bucky's never wanted to do any homework on anything. Uh, <laughs> when you asked when you came to a Wednesday before before a game and. Someone asked Bucky's, listen, Bucky's, what are they going to do? Say, I don't know. Big two will tell me by Friday. Uh, <laughs> don't worry. So just probably, pretty that's, much the like run, that. that's the way we run the podcast, actually, as well, Barry. That's his role. See, exactly. So, um, yeah, I had to do all the work, all, all the hard work, but um, it was so great to have a guy like him there. Uh, although he was this big, strong guy, especially in his earlier years, he was very mobile. He was quick. Uh, Line out time as well. Um, you could go very high as well. Um, 
so it was great playing with him. And uh, I mean, he was the enforcer. I remember going into that 2009 series, I think. I don't know if it was Paul O'Connell, one of the uh, media guys, before that Durban test that said, listen, uh, maybe Victor and Bucky's are past their best in this time for this oh. new Irish uh, pair to come through. And I remember Bucky's and I just looked at them and I just saw Bucky's laugh and I knew, okay. Don't say something like that <laughs> to Bucky's Puerta. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was great to get him charged up as well. And um, But, I mean, a fantastic play. If you look at his career, after he was almost done in South Africa, he went to Toulon and almost played the best rugby of his career. It was a bit slower over in France. But, I mean, to win another three uh, European championships with Toulon was just fantastic. So, yeah, it was pretty much like that. Uh, he liked to... Get involved in the rucks. I'd like to stand in the back line with John DeVries at the centre. So that helped a lot as well. I remember you I remember hearing you telling a story about um that one I think it might have been the second test when himself and Mike Backies and Mike Phillips had a little bit of an altercation at a ruck. Uh can yeah, you remember I remember that? uh Mike Phillips lo- looking up and he was talking about himself and Pierce Peace and I think Skoldberg and said are you guys on stairs or whatever? And Bacchus was just looking at me and say, I love your beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Only thing he came back to was Mike So, yeah, he had a thing for scrum offs, so Bacchus, so he went and said hi to Jim Cowan at some stage with the forwards. So, it's something he had for the scrum offs. It was like another time watching that back. It was like, it was like another sport. Um, and so you got into a row with uh, Mike Phillips early on as well. And then you got into a row with uh, O'Driscoll as well. And then everybody piled in behind and um, the ref then, <laughs> the ref sorted it all out. And he says, there's no close, there was no close fists. I was going, there were at least three. Driscoll <laughs> <laughs> got, got punched at least twice and someone else got punched. I think it was uh, uh, Joan. Yeah, it's, it's, it, yeah, I must say, I think... Um, it was so funny going into that second test. Uh, we were so charged up, and I don't know why, but there was something in the week that uh, Brian said, and I was just, I just said, there's no chance. This guy's just getting away with everything. Uh, I, I think it probably still came from the previous one where Donald Manga got into so much trouble with his uh, tipping um, Brian. Mm. So I don't know. It was just something that week that I was just, I was looking for Brian, actually. And uh, when the opportunity arises, it happened. But, I said to plenty of guys, if you look at Bucky's career over the years, and um, if they went back to the slow-mo, the amount of, we call it head cleans, where he cleans guys, but he makes contact with his head straight in the face to the other guys. <laughs> would have been suspended every game. Uh, he was looking for that the whole time. And if you think about that clean on, uh, was the time, um, where he went off the field, it's one of the Jones props. Geffen Jenkins, maybe, I think it might have been. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Was it? Um, yeah. The force that Bucky, Bucky's went into um, at Tractor. Yeah, Adam Jones broke his arm. Adam Jones. Adam Jones, sorry, Adam Jones, yes. Wow. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of the most physical games I've ever seen, anyway, looking back at it. And I think it's one of those games that you'll always remember where you were when you watched it. And uh, especially the way it finished. Um, can you take us back to those last 10 minutes when it was kind of going tit for tat, the Lions were leading, and then uh, I think Jacques Free scored in the corner, then Lions got a penalty, and then a minute to go, 
Raj kind of gets in that awkward position where he's he's not look, not looking didn't see where the ball was and I can't remember who he took out in the air but um you know Dupree Dupree um yeah what was that, yeah, what was that last I, 10 minutes I like think, yeah I think if we think about that game um it was at Loftus where we play the Blue Bulls and um we won the Super Rugby <clears throat> 2007 and 2009, we won Super Rugby by about, um, I think, 58 to 3 or something, a, a record-winning margin in a final. And um, we went into the game at Loftus not picking Mornay staying at 10. Mm-hmm. And um, Peter de Villiers picked uh, Ruan Pino, who was a fantastic uh, scrum off at 10, and he was a fantastic player as well. There was a lot of things going on. And then we almost had the slow start uh, we in the first stage we had a great start and we were behind we were almost out of it and probably very lucky that Skullberger didn't get the red card as well in that first five not to ten minutes but um, yeah Jack Free also coming off the bench that was one of our uh, World Cup Euros in 2007 also from the bench I think it was one of those games where a lot of people always talk and now a guy like Rusty about his bomb squad and we really had a bomb squad coming off the bench and guys making an impact and Jock Free was probably one of the most underrated centers in world rugby. He was probably one of the best rugby players I played with. Mm-hmm. And coming on, scoring that try, there was I don't think there was any other player at that stage in World Rugby who would have scored that try. And then we got the penalty uh close to what sixty meters <clears throat> out. And we had Franz Stein there that could yeah. kick it. But I just knew with Mornay staying at Loftus, he haven't missed the kick the whole year. It was easy to throw to more, uh, France and say, this, this is a long kick. And Mornay just took that kick and he kicked it on a probably, probably have been 10 meters back and still have gone over. So, um, yeah, for me, that was one of the most special moments. People talk about World Cups and British and Irish Lions, but that moment was very close to winning a World Cup. Wow. Mm. And then uh, I suppose looking ahead to next year's uh, Lions Tour 2021, how are how are South Africa looking for that? Are there any uh, young up-and-coming players that we could expect to see? Yes, it will be interesting to see what Rossi um, does because it's so close. We've won the World Cup. And I think if you look at that team that is that played there, Skull Brits isn't involved anymore. Uh, the only other outlets probably on the edge, and Francois Lowe retired as well, is probably um, Dwayne Vermeulen. Uh, but he's coming back to South Africa. Uh, he wasn't sure if he's going to keep on playing, but um, I think he decided he wants to play against the British and Irish Lions. And he's such a big influence for that team. Not just what happens on, on the field, but off the field as well. Um, he's probably see us right-hand man uh, making all the big decisions. So, yeah, I think Dwayne is the one guy. He's coming back to play Super Rugby to get ready for the um, British and Irish Tour. And then we'll probably go with pretty much the same team that we've seen um, at the World Cup. Uh, Of course, there will be one or two new guys coming through. But I think if you look at the team, uh, they'll probably be very close to the 22-23 that played in the World Cup final. Brilliant. Um, I suppose... Taking it back closer to home for us then, what are your memories of playing uh, against Ireland? And um, I presume you've had uh, some uh, many battles with Paul O'Connell over the years. Yeah, I don't have many great memories there. Uh, I haven't won a lot of games against Ireland in Ireland. Um, yeah, I've said it to 
at many occasions, Paul was probably the best player I've played in, in my position, uh, especially when it came to line-outs. Uh, it also helped him a lot, I think, when Gert Small joined, and I worked with Gert for four to six years, and Gert knew exactly how I thought about the line-out, and I, I believe he definitely shared that with Paul O'Connell. So it was always very difficult to go up against him because he almost knew what I was thinking, especially in the years where Gert was there. And he was also a guy that studied the game, and I think he studied the lineouts as well. So he was going up against someone that was prepared, uh, and a great guy off the field as well. Uh, always had time for him afterwards. Um, so, yeah, he was definitely my toughest opponent. And uh, I must say my worst day of my career was going up against Ireland. I think it was 2009, after we had this great year. We, the Bulls won Super Rugby and Carry Cup. We won British and Irish line, beat New Zealand three times. Uh, won the Tri Nations back then. So we had this fantastic year. And then we came up against Ireland and we played at the uh, um, big stadium and the mist was there. You couldn't see the ball. Yeah. And, uh, Croke Park, yeah. For the, yeah, for the first time in my life, I lost like five line-out balls against Paul O'Connell. And I wanted that, after that game, I didn't want to get out of my room. I just want everyone to leave me um, because that has never happened to me before. But um, yeah, I think always great going up against him and probably my best memory was um, I think it was 2000 and no no 2000 and yeah I played too many I think 2010 <laughs> when I captained the Springboks um, for a victory over Ireland and um, yeah pity then we lost against Scotland and we beat England as well otherwise we could have had the uh, what do you call it the beating all the nations yeah Clear on. Um, I suppose not many people will probably, maybe it may not remember this, but you took a, a two year hiatus then uh, in was it 2013, you retired, was it? Um, yeah, so after the 2011 World Cup, I retired. And then, um, yeah, January 2012, uh, I didn't know Henneke May was going to be the next Springbok coach. He called me immediately and asked, then, won't I come back? He wants me to captain the Springboks for two years and give someone the opportunity to get to know him and almost grow into that captaincy role. But then I had problems because I was out of the doping pool. Uh, World Rugby said I had to be back in for six months before I can play international rugby. <clears throat> so I would have missed the um, international season or the incoming tours with the Tri-Nations and everything, Championship Cup. I said to Annika, listen, uh, I'm not going to make this first, so I don't think it's worth coming back. And then I decided not to do it. Then I got into coaching the next year, and he asked me again, Victor, I want you to come back. I said, but we a year past already. Why do you want me to come back? And then he said, no, I think you can play another World Cup. And I said, but I'm 36. <laughs> I'm <laughs> getting old. And he said, no, you still believe I'm by far the best um, second row in South Africa. He, he, love, he would love me to come back, even if I just help the younger guys come through. And yeah, then we put everything in place. And yeah, after a year's coaching, a year off, years coaching, then two years later, I came back. And um, yeah, the World Cup 2015 didn't work out, but we got close. But there were some good memories um, coming back, captaining the uh, Springboks again against New Zealand, uh, winning them, beating them in uh, PE. So there are some good memories uh, with that comeback as well. Yeah, um, last time I saw you, Victor, um, it would have been a couple of years after that. And I think you had just finished um, with Northampton. 
and uh, we were in we were in Monaco. We were at the World Rugby Awards, um, and it looked like maybe having not enjoyed retirement the first time, it looked like you were going to ensure that you retired, that you enjoyed your retirement the second time. <laughs> I, think he, I think he ended up on a on a yacht with the the princess of Monaco. Was there, was there a story there? Because the next day you didn't remember much of a story. I don't know if um, you've heard much since. Yeah, it was a crazy night. Uh, <laughs> we went out to a bar with the prince and the princess, and uh, then with the presence being South African, they invited a few of the South African guys that was there out to the yacht. And I remember walking into my room, uh, telling my wife, I think it was 4.30 in the morning, we just came off the yacht and she just looked like, have a good time. I said, does it look like it? I said, yeah, have a good time. So yeah, I know. Um, definitely uh, after the second retirement, I was very happy to be retired. And uh, yeah, I'm still enjoying it. Good man, good man. Yeah. Well, look, we've uh, we've just decided this morning that we're going to be coming to South Africa for the the Lions tour next uh, next summer. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how we're going to get there, but we'll we'll, we'll make it. So yeah, let's hope we can travel. We can all travel. Uh, yeah, yeah. I true. think it's it's going to be a great tournament. Um, I think it's set up with South Africa being world champions at the moment. I mean, uh, there's four great teams. Uh, uh, that they can combine a great team of. So, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Uh, okay. Again. Brilliant. Well, look, when we uh, when we get down there next year, we'd love to give you a call and uh, and you can come on and, and get your own back and John de Villiers then. It'll be great. And bring your golf clubs uh, with you. We'll <laughs> we will, of course. We will, of course. Well, look, uh, the very best of luck. I hope you, you can uh, catch up with your, your two young daughters and to keep you on your toes over the next few weeks. And um, thanks a million again for joining us this morning. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Are you ready with the uh, training gear on? So I have to go right now. (laughs) Yes, guys. Best of luck. Thanks, Victor. You're listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Okay, Ulster and Ireland player Claire McLaughlin is one of many Irish rugby players who's left spinning her wheels at the moment. Uh, But while many are staying at home, she is gearing up and heading into the a Department of Ulster Hospital in Belfast today. Uh, Claire, Dr. Claire, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thanks, thanks for, for joining me. us. No, thanks uh, for having me. Tell us, what's the latest in, in Ulster Hospital? Um, so it's been, it's been weird the past few weeks. Um, so obviously this has been going on for probably over a month now and it's been a lot quieter in the hospital than pre-COVID so it's, it's been really quite eerie um, I think in the past week it has gotten a bit busier but it's still nothing on what it was before COVID came so I guess like before COVID the a department was absolutely rammed full of people like there were people sitting in chairs lying in trolleys waiting for beds and now it's pretty empty like there are there are patients coming through and there's sick patients coming through but nothing like the volume that we had before so is that because people obviously aren't out they're not um there's no there's no sport on so there's no people coming in with injuries there's uh there's no one i suppose out at night so there's uh there's no there's not many injuries <laughs> yeah, from that yeah. side of things uh there's very few people out driving etc is that that's obviously one of the reasons but um yeah. is there still a sense that people are afraid to come in Oh, definitely. Um, and that's that's something that we're, we are concerned about, that 
people are scared to come up with chest pains and with things that are are serious medical problems because of the fear of COVID and the fear of getting something whenever they come to hospital. Um, but yeah, we're definitely, we're seeing less road traffic accidents, like people coming in with trauma, but we're seeing more like DIY injuries and more people coming <laughs> off bikes and, and stuff like that. Streamers, people, um, <laughs> people streaming cats. Are they? Um, I haven't seen any of that yet, but it could. It could come. I think there's going to be one coming your way soon. <laughs> <laughs> there's been a cat streaming. <laughs> or is the or is the cat claws your face because you've tried to stream it? Yeah. So Claire, is it um, reading between the lines? Is is your job? Is your job easy at the minute then? Should we cancel the <laughs> NHS clap on Thursday nights? You know, like it actually feels like we don't deserve that. And I'm, I'm not just saying that. This is probably the, the least busy it's been in A&E over the past few months. Um, and like there are, there's definitely difficulties with, with what we're dealing with at the minute. Um, I guess a lot of the problems are logistics. Um, and I guess over the past few weeks, we've been able to kind of iron out a lot of the things that um we maybe weren't prepared for at the start of all this so we've had to restructure the whole department um and it's just a bit difficult with not knowing where things are and um, that sort of thing and I guess we've been really quite well staffed as well um with the potential surge coming we don't really know every day how many patients are going to be coming through the department so we have had a lot of doctors there and it's it's been sometimes it's been difficult because we've been fighting over work to do. Right. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um but but obviously this this could still kick off. It seems like the measures that they've put in place so far have been flattening the curve as such. Um like we haven't seen a massive increase in, in numbers of patients coming through, but yeah, day to day, it's it's definitely not as busy as it has been. So I don't feel like we really deserve all that clapping. <laughs> if, if anybody doesn't deserve it, um, it was us last Thursday because we were coming home from a walk, me, Anna and the kids, and we just happened to coincide. We were walking up the street at eight o'clock and we got clapped. Up the road. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody doesn't deserve it, it's us. It's so good. <laughs> you're doing. Gives, I'm sure you're doing a great job. It gives us something to do as well, Claire, because we've not as yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Get you outside. I can't wait for when it comes around. Um, <laughs> and how, Claire, the big the big chat at the minute is is PPE. Is that is that still an issue, or is that becoming more of an issue? Like I haven't seen that really being an issue and um, we've had enough PPE where, where we're working at the minute um, the only thing I, I suppose is um, that it, it's changed where that we were working um, part of our shift in the COVID area of A&E and part of it in the non-COVID area but now it's changed that we work a full shift within the COVID area and I think that's partly to do with PPE because we're reusing our our visors but everything else gets disposed of um and and chucked out and you just put on a new one for for the next patient or whenever you go for your break and come back again but no i i haven't really seen that that we're running out mm. obviously i don't know what it's like across the board and elsewhere but um there seems to be a lot of chat about it but thankfully i haven't seen us us running out or, or getting short and things yet that's great. And, and what, what's your uh, your home life like then? Are you are you separated from your husband or um, are you taking extreme measures like at home? 
Yeah, so my boyfriend lives in Ballymena, and say. yeah, and he's living with his parents. So I haven't seen him in about four weeks or so. Because um, wow. yeah, so it's been tough enough um, not being able to to see him. And he left me up like a care package with a bottle of wine and crisps and sausage rolls and stuff the other day, and it was yeah. so nice. Yeah, <laughs> it was so nice coming home and seeing that outside the door and like a wee card and all. So bring up. Yeah, masks, <laughs> the care package. <laughs> yeah, the essential things. <laughs> we should get you one of those Jilly Cooper books. Um, you'd love them. They're great. They're What's great that? One, of the, one of one of my my porno books. Oh, great! Okay, yeah. <laughs> we'll get them to include that next time. Um, and how about are any of your colleagues working down in the south at all? Is there? Do you know if there's much of a difference between um, hospitals up north and in the south? Um, yeah, I was chatting to one of the girls, um, Claire Cuhan, who's on the Irish squad. So she, mm-hmm. she was finally your medical student and they've kind of been drafted into the hospitals now. So, um, she's been working, basically helping out, um, doing bloods and things, doing what, what they can, I think as, as final year medical students. And, um, it seems like it's, it's pretty similar, um, from the point of view that things aren't as busy as, as would be expected at this point. Um, but even looking at the numbers, like north and south, with number of cases and deaths and stuff, I've kind of been keeping an eye on that. And it seems like we're on a similar sort of trajectory with where we're going um, with the number of cases and, and deaths. So it, it seems that the measures that Ireland as a whole are putting in place seem to be working. So we just need to keep that up for a wee while. Keep it up. Yeah. Yep. Here, yeah. Um, how about training at the moment are you getting uh getting much time to do to do any exercise and keep on top of that yeah so this is obviously the off season at the minute and we don't really know when we're going to be back in and uh, we were due to be coming back together in the middle of june and have like a full summer program and have like a, a tour away to the u.s but that's all been cancelled for now and um, there's world cup qualifiers in september so i think they're going to be postponed and we don't obviously don't know when when that's going to be there's a bit of uncertainty with it all so with this being the off season we've been given a bit of leeway with whatever training we want to do we have been given a program that we can follow so Orla Curran she's our SNC coach and she's been really good she's given us a program with three gym sessions if we want to do them and there's options for body weight or if you do have equipment and then running sessions and then each week we do like a weekly challenge on a Wednesday so we we all come together on Zoom and usually it's 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 great because it's a bit of competition. Um so you're doing like loads of exercises for time, um, see who finishes quickest and Orla's there watching the corner, so you know you can't really you can't hide. <laughs> you can't hide. <laughs> so yeah, trying to trying to get a bit of training in. I guess for me, this is a good time to try and get rehab because I've only played two and a half games of rugby this season. Um I had an ankle injury last May. And it's kind of been at me throughout the season. And um, this is probably, in a selfish sort of way, this coronavirus has come at a good time where I'm not being tempted to go back to rugby too quickly again. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm just focusing on trying to do as much rehab as possible. Yeah, I reckon there's a lot of players in that situation where they're, you know, taking this time to to rest a lot of sore bodies um, because it's rare that you get this opportunity. As you said, you always feel like, you're missing out if you're injured yeah. and you're trying to push yourself to get back and someone else is excelling as you as you're missing out so 
Totally. I think ac- across the board, rugby players must be just, you know, healing, I suppose, a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, yeah, because I don't think you would have this. Even in, if you got to the end of the season, you had the off season, you really only get a few weeks and then you're you're back into it again. So with the not knowing, it kind of does give us a bit more freedom to to work on the niggles and and get ourselves back to as as good as we can be before the off season starts or before the preseason starts again. Mm. What about um, you were chatting to Pat before, Claire? Um, your mum and dad are up isolating at their their farm in Balmoney. Yeah. Um, everybody staying safe that end. Yeah, they're all good. Um, they're just coming to the end of the lambing season now, so they've pretty much been isolated at home for for the past couple of months anyway. Um, and that, no, they seem they seem really well. So they're all you good. Must have thought you must have thought growing up in Balmoney when it comes to to ladies sport and Balmoney, you must have thought. This is me. I'm owning this, and then Katie Mullen came along and started. No, raging, absolutely raging. (laughs) I know. I was like, "This is great." Like Balmain is such a small place. (laughs) I know. I I know Katie quite well, and she's great. She's she's done really well with her hockey. So, um, no fair play to her. Yeah, good, good. That's good. So anyway, you're keeping you're keeping fit. Everybody's keeping safe, and you're saving lives, Katie. So, um, uh, I know you're saying. I know you're saying. It's not quite as busy as you thought, but everybody's very proud of um, what you and Jimmy Cairns, we had Jimmy Cairns, the monster doctor on the show a couple of weeks ago as well. And everybody's doing an incredible jobs. So we're all very proud of what you are doing. Thanks. It doesn't, it's honestly doesn't feel like we, we deserve it. And being called hero, that just doesn't, doesn't <laughs> quite sit right with me somehow. But um, yeah, hopefully this just continues on and it just bumps along rather than like going off the charts and we can just... Um, deal with it every day and hopefully it doesn't get as bad as some of the other countries that are that are really struggling with it mm-hmm. well in the meantime uh we understand you're you're an avid penguin so um <laughs> we're gonna keep talking as much wallop as we can and keep it going that right. sounds that sounds great. Keep it coming. We'll do our bit. We'll do our bit. We'll we'll They're just different. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, Thanks fun. so much for joining us, Claire. And no problem. Uh, the very best of luck. Keep it up. Thanks, Thanks very much. All right. Yeah. See you. See ya. COVID nineteen or coronavirus is here. By taking a few simple steps, we can slow the virus down and help protect everyone. Wash your hands more often for at least twenty seconds with soap and water. If you cough or sneeze, use a tissue or cover your mouth with your elbow, then bin the tissue and wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth and keep surfaces clean. Distance yourself at least two metres, six feet away from other people, especially those who might be unwell. Stop shaking hands or hugging when saying hello or greeting other people. For updated factual information and advice, go to hse.ie or call 1850-24-1850. Protection from coronavirus. It's in our hands. Okay, welcome back. And uh, we just want to give a big shout out to um, Claire's boyfriend, Johnny, who we just realized Pat has blocked him on Twitter um, <laughs> over some sort of naive spat that they had um, back in the day. So uh, Pat has agreed to unblock you, Johnny, to feel free to send some fresh abuse to Pat's uh, Twitter account. Unblock and, fav- and follow. Follow, yeah. 
want to see evidence of this. Uh, okay, over the weekend, we gave you your classic homework to do. Um, so each week we're discussing a new movie or a classic movie and a classic album and a rugby match. We've already discussed the Lions versus South Africa Test 2 in 2009. But our album of the week, now I think there's been a little bit of confusion between the two of us here. It's a Cranberries album. Um, did you look at everyone else is doing it, so why can't we? Or did you look at No Need to Argue? No Need to Argue. Oh, great. Okay. Because we were referencing Linger a while ago. Um, and that obviously wasn't on this album. That's fine. It was just more of a, <clears throat> it was just more of a link to the Cranberries in general. <clears throat> yeah. And to be fair, first time I ever heard the Cranberries was Linger um, and still one of my favorites. And I do love that album. But the reason we chose this album, which is uh, because Zombie this week, the video of Zombie has surpassed 1 billion views on YouTube, uh, becoming only the third ever song to do that, which uh, joining Queen, Bohemian, is it Queen? I'm not sure what song. It's a Queen song. And I think uh, Bon Jovi, presume Living on a Prayer. So an incredible achievement um, for a Limerick band, Limerick and Irish band, and going back and listening to those two albums, uh, what are your memories of them? Uh, I wasn't a massive Cranberries fan when I was a youngster, but my sisters were. They were a little bit older than me, so um, I used to go into my sister's room. I had two sisters. <laughs> mm-hmm. One, one, um, one listened to the good music and one listened to, to poor music. <laughs> <Big boy bands. laughs> I even take that. Um, gotcha. uh, but I went into the cool sister's room and mm-hmm. uh, stole her CDs. And one of the CDs I regularly stole was Cranberries. Um, and then I, I was hooking around. Uh, she used to give off to me. We'd fall out a bit. And then I was hooking around looking for more CDs. And then I found um, her cigarettes. <laughs> as soon as I found her cigarettes, then I owned her. I was getting <laughs> <laughs> whatever CDs I wanted at that stage. So uh, I had free reign. Brilliant. So, yeah, Cranberries. Uh, yeah, I, I again... I wasn't massively into it, but it was... So did she used to sit out at the window, do you reckon, and smoke her fags, listening to Cranberries um, in kind of a kind of a downtrodden, grungy kind of way, black, eye, so. black say- eye makeup. Yes. Yeah. Straightened hair. Yeah. She, spe- she was... Uh, Get out of my room! <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was probably less clean cut than the other sister. Like, she would have been... She'd have hung out with skaters and surfers and... Bit of a smell that. out of her room. But uh, yeah, she was a bit crusty. Yeah, <laughs> my my crusty brother's room was stinked, man. Yeah, yeah. Incense. She'd have been uh, burning incense as well. Gotcha. She's a bit of a hippie. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's that's kind of that's what I think a lot of the crowd that the cranberries appealed to back then. Yeah. Um. And <clears throat> Del- Dolores herself was kind of I think that kind of character, and you could sense a lot of that in her lyrics. Um, she was probably 19 actually she was 20 uh, when she wrote this 21 because there's a song in it called 21 um, when she wrote this album which is mind blowing yeah that's and mental yeah. even more mind blowing that when she wrote you know the first album that she was only 17, 18 yeah um, some of the depth that you find in the songs like Ode to My Family which is probably my favourite one on it um, Zombie uh, is about the troubles and in particular um i think a bombing in warrington in 1993 where two children were killed 
and to have written about it in such a creative and passionate way um, is just for someone that young. <clears throat> and I remember my brother has a podcast uh, called The Chat with Dan Murphy, and he got uh, Noel from the Cranberries on last year to talk about their latest album. And he, t- and he was telling a story about the moment she walked into the room with a zombie recorded on a cassette tape and playing it for them for the first time. But it was obviously just her with her acoustic guitar at home playing. And uh, back then they used to just, they were, he said they were so inexperienced. They just play, play in a little uh, recording studio and uh, they had you know, if you listen to the first album, it was a lot softer sounding, not heavy guitars. And she came in and she was like, I need you to crank everything, turn the turn the distortion up. He didn't even have a distortion pedal. He'd go buy mm-hmm. one. Uh, Fergal, the drummer, was like, I'm just going to play as hard as I can. So she wanted, she knew exactly what she wanted from it. Wanted it to be uh, kind of, I suppose, really harsh and uh, powerful and um, almost depicts what war would be like essentially mm. um so yeah look if you go back and listen to it it's it's just a, uh i don't know it's a journey the whole album incredible um you know i find out um when i was uh looking this up the the, the first album didn't really land and then they toured and they were supporting suede mm. and halfway through the tour then they got picked up mtv started um playing uh, linger must have been then yeah and then they swapped it round and Swede got ditched. Swede were like so the support act for the rest of the tour. No way. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, I think they, they weren't, it, it flopped when it first came out and then it got picked up by College Radio in America. Yeah. Um, uh, Dreams, I think, was played on on the some TV show um, and that catapulted them. Uh, we We did a cover of Dreams and zombie last year or a couple of years ago the year oh yes the year Dolores died and uh in our in King John's Castle there's a cool video of it on YouTube and we invited the the Cranberries to the gig because we knew we were going to do it it was our first hometown gig since she passed away and um we were rearranging dreams to do it as you know we wanted to put our own little spin on it and um we were we were arranging it my brother told me to do a harmony at the end of it. It's kind of like a counter melody. Like she's unbelievable at writing melodies, basically. I think like if you listen to any of these songs, like 21, listen to the melodies that she comes up with at the end of that song, which are kind of like over what she's over the lyrics. They're absolutely unbelievable. So she, she, there's these kind of melodies at the end of dreams. That's like, da, 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 da. And then there's this weird, that sounds Honestly. a bit like whenever I was um, I was playing the bass to that um, Leinster song. <laughs> <laughs> We're jamming. <laughs> I won't allow you to do that ever again. Um, but he, the someone comes in with this Native American style, uh, yo, kind of like a, a yodel at the end. If you listen to the track, and we were listening to it, going, "Who is that?" It must have been a sample or something like that that they got, and um, we did it on the night, and I I did that part. And uh, after the gig, we were having a few beers in, in, in Dolan's Bar in Limerick. And the Noel from the Cranberries was there. And uh, I was talking to my cousin. I was like, and he was like, that melody you're doing at the end is, is pretty interesting. And I was like, I told him, I think it's like a Native American or something like that. And he was like, he's fucking right there, man. Just go over and ask him. So I went over and I was like, Noel, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And he's such a Limerick head, man. He's like, 
yeah, I don't, uh, I don't often cry, and uh, I didn't cry tonight, but I almost cried. Like that's, <laughs> that's good enough for me. And uh, I was like, do, do you know that melody at the end? What was that? Uh, do you mind me asking? And he said, Dolores was going out with a fella from Tipperary around the time, and uh, he was a fucking lunatic. And uh, we were inside in the recording studio one day, and he just started doing this shamanic call to the like shamanic gods or something like that and he started doing this thing and she was like i want this to be recorded and they were like oh my god this is the yoko ono moment or something <laughs> um but they they allowed him do it and all of a sudden it was on the track and it's in there um and it's one of my favorite parts of the song now i know that wasn't on this album but i still think it's a cool story so yeah, brilliant album. Have a listen. Congratulations to the Cranberries um, and what a legacy Dolores has left behind um, reaching one billion views on YouTube. Incredible talent. Mm. Now, you chose our movie of the week and that is Groundhog Day, one of my favourite films ever by Bill Murray, or starring Bill Murray. Give me your thoughts. Yeah, I, I've noticed recently um, people, people more and more, like Groundhog Day is an expression now, it's not a movie. Or it's a, it's just a, it's a comment, or it's like to sum something up quickly. Yeah, she's Groundhog Day. <laughs> yes, it? it is. Yeah, and <clears throat> everybody's so familiar with what that means. Oh, geez, isolation is like Groundhog Day, and everybody keeps saying it. Um, and and so I, I kind of thought, right, well, I thought it was going to be in in that category of kind of appropriate movies for us to watch, like Contagion. We uh, we both watched as well frighteningly accurate <laughs> absolutely yeah. scary and then we both don't watch that, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's good though doesn't, doesn't <laughs> leave watch, you with a good watch. taste in your mouth uh and then i realized um i i don't think i've ever watched um having well, i watched it last night obviously groundhog day i don't know if i've ever watched it um fully from start to finish i think i've just seen bits of it or dropped in and it's been on tv because i'm familiar with lots of bits of it but i never watched it in its entirety right and yeah it's uh i don't i don't know if i massively loved it or massively enjoyed it really Um, i just it's so like bill murray it's it is nothing without bill murray he is he's he's everything like he is so dry so sarcastic so funny Mm. And and the, it just completely collapses without him, so it's totally relaxed. But I think I think that's why they set up the film like that. So they set it up being a fairly uh, normal kind of bland old time with you know they they can't have it you know they want it to be a boring yes. world, a yeah. boring world that he lives in. And I think Tom Hanks was actually supposed to be the one that played uh, Phil Connors originally, oh, really? but he wasn't as much of a dickhead. Uh, he wasn't enough of a dickhead. Yeah. So they got, uh, but but I think that's my take. And you're right, Bill Murray. He's like my favorite actor of all time. Um, and around this time, he'd done like he'd done Ghostbusters, he'd done um, Caddyshack, What About Bob, uh, some of my favorite films. But this, uh, I think, past said earlier on that he potentially should have won an Oscar for it. And so, what year was this? Ninety three. Ninety three. Yeah. 93. So who, who who did win the Oscar that year? I don't suppose you know. Off the top of your head, <laughs> when you're no, I'd say maybe Dances with Wolves. Did he win an Oscar, Kevin Costner? Maybe yeah. he didn't. I don't know. No. Um, it's like it's so clever. Blind Boy from Rubber Bandits was on about this recently. About I like, heard this. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about it as a as a 
an example of how to live like a Buddhist um, and how the Buddhist teachings, which did you listen to that show? I did. That, that's what put it in my head. That was about a month ago or a few weeks ago. Anyway, that's yeah. what put it in my head initially. He had a whole, I was like, back at uh, Christmas. It was before Christmas. Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah. He, he had a whole, whole kind of like a philosophical approach to the whole thing, which he maybe potentially over <laughs> overthinking things a little bit, but mm. I had that in my head when I was watching it. Mm. Well, I think like the, in, in our current climate, if you look at it and it kind of inspired me that, you know, the journey that Phil, Con- like, I think everyone should watch it. It's such a brilliant film. The The journey that he goes on, he's, he's, he's obviously a bit of a dickhead, gets stuck in this rut of the same day, living every day. And it's this mundane, weird little town and they're having the Groundhog Day. And then it begets, he starts overindulging, realizing that he, he there's no consequences. So he starts... Like, so now we're at home, we're doing nothing. We could just sit in our holes and watch telly and eat food and we would ultimately be unhappy. Whereas when he starts doing the right thing and being applying himself, learning piano, just being kind, being good, uh, he starts to really, I don't know, become a, living a happier, more enjoyable life. Um so that's the message. But some, I just need to spit some of the f- fucking funniest parts, man. Um, when he's spoofing your one Andy McDowell into trying uh-huh. to into try and score him. Yeah. And, uh, and it shows how straightforward the initial score with Nancy was. Yes. And that's so straightforward. Just um, find out what uh, school she went to, what, who her English teacher was, and then yeah. that's it done. And then, as you say, Andy Mc- or, um Rita, um uh it's just so long-winded and he cocks it up so many times <laughs> when he's when he's talking french poetry to her like um and she the first time he goes um what uh what did you study in in college and she's like uh 18th century french poetry and he just bursts out laughing at her and he goes what a waste of time <laughs> 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 and the next the next night it goes to, he's like he recites this French poem uh and he wins her over a little bit. Um I, I enjoyed the bit whenever they're um, they're making the snowman outside and then he's talking about oh I'd love to be able to do this with my kids and then the, the other kids start throwing snowballs at him. He's like, Are any of you guys up for adoption? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he starts totally losing his mind a little bit and he's yeah. overdoing it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh uh but look, it's I think there's, there's, it's a hilarious film, but there's also a good message in it as well. Mm. Let's be like, be apply sound. ourselves. Apply it's ourselves and be sound. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, get on us, watch it. Um, and that so so that's the overriding message. Be sound, be dead on, be nice. But I still prefer Bill Murray when he's being sarcastic and dry and a dick to everyone. <clears throat> yeah, I did, I did enjoy being a dick. He's so funny. Yeah. Oh, do you know what it's? Do you know what I also love uh, your man Ned Ned, Ned, Ned yeah. Ryerson. Yeah. He, so he's like, he's like the biggest pothole on the planet. Like, do you know we all have met that guy that you're like, oh Jesus Christ, this fella, and we're all just too nice to him and too nice. And uh, he reverse potholes him. He yeah, he reverse potholes him. Like, remember Jordy Murphy used to do this, where if if like after a match there's nothing worse than someone coming up talking to you about the game when you've played shit or something and they try and tell you what you should have done or yeah. something and you're just like I'm trying to have a point would you go away and Jordy Murphy used to 
try and make them go away by reverse bottling them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is what he does. He starts hugging Ned Ryerson, <laughs> getting real up on him, and Ned's like, <laughs> yeah. Ferg McFadden used to do that as well. The World Cup 2011, we were at um, an, an, an event there, very potholy. And um, Ferg and someone else, I forget who it was, they're like, we are going to town on this pothole. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy was, guy, guy was actually backing up and Ferg was keep coming at him. Dead, dead, <laughs> he, right. He eventually, he just sickened him of him. And then um, that was it. It was easy. Uh, that guy is an incredible character in that film. Yeah. Um, well done. The guy, Egon from uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters, Harry Ramis, he directed the film as well. And he's All right. He's okay. a doctor in it as well. Very impressive. Um, okay, that's uh, that's that's loads. Um, Trimby, back to Penguins of the Week. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Mark Hill is there. What do we do here? Do we have to make two? He is flying, isn't he? Two Penguin Awards? Cause well, my, well, he's won it two weeks in a row, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, but his latest installment was one of the best I've ever seen. It's incredible, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other guy, uh, Matt McKnight, though he's had a few, he's had a few big moments as well. He's put up a few of these, and he's got a real style actually with his um, his animations, hasn't he? Yeah, very much so. It's a bit subtle. Yeah, um, our Facebook group is been has been kicking off majorly. So thanks and welcome to anyone that's just recently joined our Facebook group. Uh, some great pictures and links, etc. Keep them coming. Mm-hmm. It's 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 we are. I feel like we're doing a good job out there. We're keeping people's spirits up. We're just trying to distract people from what's going on. Um, and then um, in turn, we are getting distracted by some of the stuff being sent into the group. So um, <laughs> thanks. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks so much. There's some great stuff. Yeah. So have we got it? Did you give your opinion of the week to anyone? Let's, let, I think you're right. I think you're right. Mark Hill's hogging it at the minute. Um, but that last one's so good. But no, we'll give him a separate one. Mark Hill, you're like, uh, you're into the... the, the, he's, the, the he's in Hall the of fame. Hall of Fame. Yes. Hall of Fame. Right, okay. Um, so that's your one this week. But the Penguin of the Week is... It's going to go Mac, Matt McKnight then for the um, the tribute to Dumb and Dumber. Okay. Very, oh, that's <laughs> pretty Penguins in a, a blue and orange suit. Yeah. Well done. Round of applause. Well done, Matt. Congratulations. Make yourself a toilet roll penguin. Feel free. Um, okay, that's been uh, more than enough and a brilliant show. Thanks so much to Claire McLaughlin. Thanks so much to Victor Matfield. Uh, thank you to everyone in Joe that has helped put this together. Pat, Paul, Dermot, um, Anthony. Thank you to everyone for listening and watching us on YouTube. Hello. This has been Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby here on Joe together with Guinness. Party on, stay safe. You were listening to Baz and Andrew's House of Rugby on Joe, together with Guinness. Drink responsibly. Visit drinkaware.ie for the facts.